It's time. Another glorious day of illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book. I burned my hand. <laughs> <laughs> this week we are doing 1775, a good year for revolution. Oh, let's but get into it. Here we go. Evan, Evan burned his hand. <laughs> I <laughs> did. I burned my hand last night personal making note. dinner. <laughs> but so you're... I've got a bandage like I'm the mummy sitting here. I cannot hit anything on my iPad. <laughs> good, because I'm going to give you all the information. <laughs> Thank you. Lay it on me. Well, so first of all, you're an American. I am. I'm an July American. July 4th is upon us. It is. Happy July 4th for all of our listeners. We hope you had a great time, if you're listening. After or during. Either way. Uh, but 1775, I saw this book and I said, my God, I don't know anything about 1775. And everybody loves... I'm intrigued right off the bat. A good year for revolution. <laughs> everybody talks about 1776. Even, they, and they make you buy that, that book for AP history class. And seen, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, nobody talks about 1775. I want to know that boil. I want to see that boil and ramp up, baby. Mm -hmm. So I read it. It was kind of like a history textbook, so I skimmed through some parts, and I'm just going to pull the interesting things. Thank God. The good parts. Thank God, that I Taylor, thought doing were worthwhile. So I might skip some stuff. Also, I'm not a historian, so I don't know that much about this. This guy is a professional history person. Well, I didn't, like I said, I don't, I don't know anything about the year before, yeah. and I, I doubt our audience knows that much either. So, I mean, I think there's going to be plenty that we don't know. What he says is a, a big reason we're all into 1776 was because of the bicentennial that happened in 1976. I don't know if you saw those quarters that they made that had right. the special. Yeah. That was a huge thing. 200 year anniversary of America. Yeah. yeah. And then so that's why in modern times that date has been christened as really, really important oh, and sort of God. threw everybody off. And they're just like, well, we got to pick a day, July 4th, 1776. But as... Our boy Kevin Phillips will say there's a bunch of stuff that happened before. So he's saying there's no sweeping explanation for why the revolution worked. We like to just say it was because of this or it was because all the colonies united against America. Britain. Yeah, but Being there was a lot America's to go with it. God-given divinity. <laughs> there was different ideologies. There was economics. There was religion. And there was complexity for those within each region. Right. They were 13 different colonies. There was a Continental Congress that happened in 1774 that they sent off to England mm -hmm. or Britain saying, hey, these are our demands. So that's sort of what started it even more preceding right. that. And then preceding that was the Boston Tea Party in 1773. So it's cooking. Because so it was some, cooking. You know, there, there's some heat happening. There, there was things happening. And just for some context, he goes through some, some facts at the beginning that I wasn't aware of just how little power the British Empire had in this place at this time. As mm. 1775 was ending, the only place that the British occupied and controlled was Boston. <laughs> they didn't have a stronghold on anywhere else. Obviously, they had people and troops. And he purports, and there are other books relating to this, that it was almost kind of like a civil war. Because there were people that were the loyalists that were loyal to the British Empire. Right. And so it wasn't just like every single living soul on the American continent wanted right, and freedom. All just decided at once to revolt. <laughs> no, it was like there's some people that were like, oh yeah, this is my cousin. Right. And he doesn't... And some he, people have interest, you know? That yeah. Some, you know, like, not a, yeah. Yeah. And so that the historians typically emphasize a distinctive cohesion, like I said, we're all rallying together, <laughs> when there were a lot of internal divisions within the colonies. Interesting. And he says that historically half of the battles in new jersey new york and north carolina americans were fighting other americans they yeah. weren't fighting the british so there's a lot of internal division that we don't think about and then of course the revolutionary war hits and that lasts us all the way to 1783 mm. from from this year of 1775 mm -hmm. so a big situation that most people know about lexington and concord happened on april 19th 1775 the shot heard around the world. Right. The Brit who shot first? Huh? Yeah, or whatever you know. Did the who Brit shot first? <laughs> <laughs> did the British shoot? I want a shirt that mashes that up. It probably exists. Uh, I'm sure it somewhere. does. If I find if it... it online, I'll put a link in the show notes <laughs> for sure. But the idea that most people might have of this is like, oh, that's kind of the, what what set things off, at least in 1775. But 
the militia, and this is why America is so big on gun rights and Mm -hmm. going against the government and the government doesn't run the people, people run the government, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing, is because they had been training for a year. This is not hard scrabble men. There were 20,000 people ready to fight by that point already. These things had been building. Samuel Adams, this guy says, was a big part of which we just know him as the beer guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, all y'all out there, as soon as you heard him, we all had the same idea. Yeah. He's not drunk. <laughs> he, but he was a big part in that in, in New England about rallying people together and whatnot at this time, specifically in He's always been about bringing people together. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. He's, he's, the, he's the glue that holds our nation. But I, it was just funny in the book, it was saying, like, there was references in other works and other letters and whatnot of talking about other people in different regions in North Carolina and right. Georgia and whatnot saying that like this person was the Sam Adams of that area. Oh yeah. Like so and so is the Sam Adams of <laughs> Charleston. So he had a lot more influence than people think, which wow, is why his I didn't name know that yeah. specifically before the revolution. So started. maybe Sam Adams is the most patriotic beer you can drink <laughs> right. on Fourth of July. Just to, you know pick up one. Yeah. You know? Um, and Sam Adams the, pay his money. <laughs> give us a million dollars. <laughs> and be the Sam Adams of your of your party. On <laughs> be the Sam Adams of your party this year. That's right. So one thing he was talking about also that in just starting with the brewing was haha brewing. Was that <laughs> the the Patriot propaganda could be distributed so quickly it within the US mm. about what was going on, but England is thousands of miles away. And so, right. I was just thinking about this. Like, I can't make sure that like my copies get printed at Staples when I asked for them to. Like, (laughs) I can't imagine like trying to like organize a war across the sea in 1770. (laughs) Right. So it takes it take it would take six to eight weeks to get anything across the Atlantic Ocean at this point. So the question is. Lexington and Concord, people are shot, shooting people, April 19th, 1775. They swiftly put this information and got a quicker ship to England to, like, spread the, mm. the propaganda that England shot first. It's lost in history, really, what happened. But that was quicker than the British could get there. But, I mean, it was June by the time anybody knew <laughs> that anything was going on. There was also, which I'll speak to, I was talking about how like Boston was the only occupied city. There was also this exodus of the southern royal governors of the British governors that were instituted by England mm. that then ha- that then just fled, which also created a lot of opportunity. Oh, yeah. And that's what he postulates in this book is that the situations were ripe for revolution because of such factors as... Well, they were already kind of self-governing by the time they needed to say, hey, we're declaring independence, but actually we're also pretty good on our own. (laughs) You know, like they didn't have to overthrow a bunch of already instated leadership. (laughs) They just put them in the cars. We got it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, basically, but no, they left. They, they They were hiding on warships off the coast um, at this point. So the big... Part two of his book is the revolution, which is some of the provocations, the motivations, the alignments, kind of the origins Mm. of what's happening. And then we'll go into actual 1775 and what was going on. So he says that the big four colonies that contributed overall are Virginia, Massachusetts, South Carolina, and Connecticut. Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) What'd you say? No, Evan's, from, Evan's from Georgia. He wants it to be one of the big four. But it's not. It's part of the 13. Oh, no. <laughs> so he's saying these were the ones that had the biggest, strongest provincial self-governments mm. before and were ready to take up arms and were more cohesive compared to oh, other I take colonies. It back, then Georgia would not be on that list. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Swamp. Well, as as compared to even people who think like, oh, Pennsylvania. What about Pennsylvania? Oh, yeah. We'll right. see Pennsylvania no, no, no. had a... Pennsylvania had a lot of Quakers and a more Germanic influence, a lot of Mm German-speaking people. So there wasn't as much of a unification of homogenous interests. So things like that. So Virginia, Massachusetts, South Carolina, and Connecticut. 
and South Carolina specifically because of the ports. Ah, uh, that makes you know? sense. Yep, and access to the West Indies, mm-hmm. the Bahamas, and things like that, which come up much later yeah. in relations to munitions. So the colonies of 1774 had five times the population that they had in 1725. It was a massive expanse of people within that range. So the big four colonies had half of the population of all of the colonies. They accounted for half of the population. That's also why he considers them important. And then also, they they created the biggest influx to the other colonies and their creation. So Mm. 25% of New Jersey and New York were people that came from Massachusetts and Connecticut, which is wild. Um, So they were kind of the expansionist provinces as well that let other provinces bleed out of them. They also provided three quarters of the soldiers that year, 1775. Mm. And like I said, these other colonies, New York, Pennsylvania, wishy-washy about the whole thing. <laughs> Not into it. These ones were Well, ready. we don't know. <laughs> we haven't decided yet. We'll get back to you. Beep. We'll wait until the Second Continental Congress. <laughs> uh, he goes into religion and ethnicity as a big factor contributing. So the British, I guess my perception and maybe other people's perceptions is like, there's, and this is what America is known for. It wasn't just all English and British people, mm. all different kinds of people. And so that was a, a confusing thing for the people that are fighting against because they didn't want to fight necessarily against British and English. Mm. That would be tyranny. Yeah. And they're not even really a new country. Right. And that was a huge no-no. So the British actually hired out a lot of Celtic fringes, people from Ireland and Scotland, and then also... From a, not just from an ethnic standpoint, but from a religious standpoint, got a lot of Catholic people to fight against uh, them because they were mostly Protestant. Oh wow! Oh and wow! And reformed in that's in the how colonies. deep that rivalry goes. Yeah. <laughs> so then they felt better about going against the colonies because they were of a different ethnicity and religion. But a third of the colonists were German, Dutch, Irish, Scottish. It was already becoming the melting pot of different ethnicities. Uh, So a big way that they got people to rally in 1775 towards this cause was through the church and through these church services. The pastors ended up becoming the leaders of the militia armies. There's this guy, Pastor Muhlenberg, who his famous quote is, there's a time to pray and a time to fight, and now is a time to fight. Mm. Uh, And again, with these big four, they had more of a homogenous mix less infighting. Mm-hmm. They were either all very Irish or all very Presbyterian or whatever it might wow, be. I didn't know. I, yeah, I didn't have any concept of this. Mm-hmm. The other thing was the mix of different reli- the, those sects of Christianity, the Presbyterians, the Lutherans, the Quakers, and the Baptists. That was two-thirds of the, mm-hmm. of the population mm-hmm. of the colonies. Of those that was only 7% in England. The rest of them were part of the Anglican church underneath the king. Gotcha. You know, or Catholic. Yeah. So that was a, a big separation for the colonies. Okay. They were like, okay, well, we, we got to, you know, just one facet where you could say, like he's saying, there's all these different facets right, that contributed. Right, right. It wasn't just economic. It wasn't just religious. It wasn't just... Yeah, I mean, I, I've never... I've And, and I, I definitely pay less attention to those types of, of things just because I don't know any much about my own nationality or anything <laughs> right. about my, my ancestors. Or <laughs> Who where. are you? I, I really don't. And so I don't have any connection to, you know, Catholics, Protestants, Irish, you know, like... <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I... I I have no connection to anything resembling something like that. So I take all of this as really just a base level American. So like all these things I've, I've not paid attention to all these, all these rifts still exist, you know, these things, these things are still around today, but I've, I've never quite understood them and certainly don't, didn't under, don't understand the depths in the origins of which th- these people draw these lines. I just don't get it. I just Right. Don't. That's how I feel. I'm like, oh, like, you know, this is probably going to be really offensive. But like right. Ireland and Northern Ireland, I'm like, 
I don't know what the difference. <laughs> like it doesn't right. seem like that big of a deal to me. Right. And as an American, why am I why why is that in, like why is that worth fighting or being angry or like or, or like Catholic or, Protestant? I'm like why you, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like I I seriously that's what I try to mean is I take it all as like a base level American because anything past that I really just have no connection to. Yeah, cuz so, it built into that. But that was a, a mixing melting pot was not necessarily a unifying force that we think of of like yeah we're all american and we all believe the same thing mm. these were just scattered colonies yeah. that had quite the different viewpoints but in relation but to england similar goals That's in relation to england yeah there was there was an opposition so we're moving on to economics which of course america is a, is a very <laughs> big part of it so th they were a huge source of british financial growth Meaning, in 1774, 40% of British manufactured exports went to the colonies. Mm. So Britain depends that's, on them a that's lot. A, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot. The year before. Say yeah. that again? <laughs> say that again. 1774, 40% of British manufactured exports went to the colonies. What were they doing before? <laughs> <laughs> Going to other places, <laughs> yeah, or amongst themselves. Yeah, it exploded. God, God. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about the British Empire here. They're the you know the sun never set. Yeah, and so then in they a very short amount of time, lab. they forty four percent of their export goes there. Right. The population at this point of the colonies is a little over 3 million, which is now at this point more than Holland, more than Denmark, more than Switzerland, also more than Portugal. Oh, wow. It's, it's, it's essentially its own country. Wow. Yeah. But the problem is they're still the colony. So the money that they make has to go back to the mother country, which right, is England. Right. And there's and all these issues with taxes and taxation exactly. with and representation. That, and the ultimate rift is there. Rules and all of that stuff. There was also a lack of paper money in the system, which is where we get the term buck, because there was a certain point where deerskin became legal tender. <laughs> I knew that, but the way you said that made, <laughs> right. it, made it great. <laughs> The other thing with the money is there was different exchange rates between each colony, and then other colonies didn't have to accept the money that South Carolina used uh, in between New York. Yeah, and so there, you have a ton of problems there, and then you're being robbed behind your back. Yeah, there were it, debts yeah. that were owed to England for different things. The whole country was in debt, or different people were in debt. Merchants America's basically the kid that saw the racket, and then was like, I, I can do this myself. <laughs> Let's get out of this. <laughs> yeah. Merchants in the colonies owed $3 million to England and $4 million was half of Britain's entire budget for their country. So like there was, there was a lot of reason also for them yeah. to be like, well, we can't just go yeah. bankrupt to our yeah. own country. So let's just dip out of here. There was a whole bunch of smuggling because of customs regulations. Um, the, the next, so then we're going into the two different facets of life in, in the colonies before 1775 hits, okay. which is the urban and the rural. Mm. So urban first, the kind of radicalism, that's how he titles the chapter, that goes into it. And so, so you're saying that in the rural areas, people were more likely to fight? What are you saying? Well, we'll get it. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm going to explain. Explain now, Taylor. <laughs> so, I'm explaining the two different groups. So in the urban areas, you had a lot of seamen, shipmen, uh... Shh, shh, Evan. <laughs> um, and something that I didn't know about was these liberty poles, which were like the meeting places in the town. Yeah. And uh, they were either tall trees or things, and then they became a symbol for revolution. And so oh. the British wanted to chop them down and whatnot. But a lot of them came from ships' masts because oh, in the yeah. cities there was a lot gotcha. of people that were from the Navy and whatnot. In the Boston Massacre of 1770, three of the five people that got shot were... Mariners. There was a whole thing with and and a resistance to that because the British Navy had this thing where you could they could just impress you, kind of like draft you into the British Navy. You're in the Navy now. Well, because you know, yeah, you know how how crazy it was with the British and they like yeah. ruled the seas and whatnot. But three quarters of those men died within two years. Right. So that was a huge resistance from the urban standpoint, yeah. of being like, well, this is where we all came from, and we don't want to be a part of that anymore. Yeah. 
1775, there was a, something called the New England Restraining Act, which kind of also ties into the economics the that original was... restraining order. Mm-hmm. Which is you can only trade with the British. You can't be trading with the Spanish. You can't be trading with the West Indies. You can't be doing any of this stuff. Yo, what? And so that also then affected no, no, these no, people no. that this is their job. Most yeah. of them are on the port cities. Most yeah. of them are involved in marining and whatnot. And so then that was an aspect of 1775 where they're like, we got to get out of this. The other group main group, artisans, mechanics, Benjamin Franklin, huge proponent of these people, inventors, you know, that kind of thing. So the, like I said, the big four also have these bigger cities that had militia a century in the making. They were already creating their own governments and had a, a force ready to fight. Um, the more you keep talking, the more amazing it is to me that that anybody ever got anything done together <laughs> right <laughs> the more you keep talking the more division there sounds like the more like different ideas yeah that's why it's insane <laughs> sounds, yeah that's why america's insane it actually makes it's actually more amazing to say everybody had different things they wanted and nobody saw eye to eye and then they came together to achieve a common goal than to say you know the melting pot just allowed it to happen it's like, mm-hmm. no yeah and speaking of kind of that, like the militia and doing stuff on their own and not being cohesive. So there were 485 times where these separate militias joined the Continental Army, mm-hmm. which is the actual army of mm-hmm. the United States. There were also, though, 191 engagements that had nothing to do with the Continental Army and was just the militias. That's that stuff I'm talking about. That's what I want. <laughs> that unofficial battle. Yeah. So now we go into the rural, the backcountry areas. Huge expansion. From 60 to 75, mm. there's all these, the Indian boundary lines that got moved, where they're like, are again, we here, are we again, there? And again, Manifest destiny kind of nonsense. There were 32,000 square miles west of the Blue Ridge that was occupied in that in a 20-year span before 75, which is quite a lot. Wow. History would have recorded all of this kind of stuff more if there was no revolution, which is what he oh, postulates, because wow. it kind of just got slipped under the radar. Yep. But there was so I'm much. I've never considered that going on with wait, who owns what and how far did we go and lost, what were the what got lost in in and, the shuffle? Wow, I've never hardly even considered that mass expansion between between thirty nine and sixty four. Two thirds of those years were in wars that included Indian frontier. Mm. So it is a huge part of our history, yeah. and also being involved in conflict with that. But again, we like to hit 1776, the revolution, not <laughs> all the stuff that's going fine. Yeah, going on <laughs> over the Blue Ridge Mountains. In a few years, we fought another little thing, no big deal. And yeah. then, uh, then it was a while until we did a big thing. Here's a Georgia thing. In 17... <laughs> oh, <hey! laughs> Talking about the backcountry. In 1774, <laughs> there were still wars going on with the Shawnee tribes good. in West Virginia and the Creeks in Georgia. Good. <laughs> good. <laughs> not good. <laughs> Um, and then there was conflict because the British preferred Indian trade to the interest of settlers Mm. and what was going Mm. on with them was like, well, we're part of the empire. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a second. Why wouldn't they? (laughs) Yeah. Um, but it, but then that created something that I feel like definitely sucks a lot because then that was a tool that was used to rally against the British empire. But then it's all, it was like used as a card of cohesion and connection. But then now we kind of shit on the Indians, <laughs> you know, and Native Americans and whatnot because it was used. Yeah. Because they were using them against us. So we use it to rally us against them. Explain it. Explain it again. The British preferred Indian trade to the interests of the settlers. So then that created more cohesion amongst the colonies to rally against England at the opposition of the Native Americans. Good Lord. Which then continues into settlement in yeah. the West and whatnot. But that is a part of that rural Absolutely. side of things that didn't necessarily apply to the port cities and whatnot. A whole separate kind of front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's going on. This is also, and I don't know if this is offensive, the term cracker ah. is where this started. These were the convicts and indentured serv- servants that just got shipped out to the bayou and to over the Blue Ridge Mountains and whatever. The term survived to, 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 to today? That's what they're called, yeah, like the hillbilly <laughs> white people. 
interesting. That were the criminals and the runaway servants. I definitely knew, like, I definitely had heard peripherally yeah. something of, to, of that nature, but it's kind of amazing that like, that, that survived. <laughs> right. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> yeah. So now we've got it's all really of... really amazing that, that a lot of that stuff, that a lot of any kind of colloquialism, any, any of that weird, any of that stuff survives at all. Yeah. We don't call anybody like a Yankee doodle. Or, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but... So now we talked about all of the different, like you said, it just feels more and more separate and so many different yeah, moving parts yeah. and whatnot. Let's talk about the connected the ideologies. They ever go, let's work together. Like, right. <laughs> so the big, the big connected ideologies then, we, we've talked about the discontent with the rule a little bit with the economics and mm-hmm. the tariffs and all that whatnot. And the culture of dissenting Protestantism, the, the religious elements that are at odds how their interests were neglected as the colonies, Mm -hmm. as one unit, and a separation from the British Empire. In five of the 13 colonies, non-English, not from England, Mm -hmm. were the majority. So German, Scots, you know, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Um, But like I said, there were still loyalists, hundreds of thousands of people that wanted the British. So the big ideologies that he identifies are five C's which you'll appreciate the last one, I think. Community, God. commerce, constitution, Calvinism, and conspiracy. Mm, <laughs> there we are. So these are the five ideologies that now unite the colonies. <laughs> the first one, community. By the end, in 1783, it really did bring everything together because we're all fighting for a common purpose. Right. So a big part of it was the mobile moving population and the fact that we had maps and we're identifying what's going on. Half of the counties of the colonies had outsiders, which means people that were born outside of that county are now living there, Mm. which was interesting that we talked about in Loving Where You Live, like even before the revolution in 1775, half of people that lived in counties were not from there. Yeah. So that's already a part of American culture is being in a different place. Number two, commerce. The demand for colonial subservience was very strange to me, but that was part of the history of Britain during the 18th century, just being like, you have to give us money because you're a part of our empire and you have to do these things. Highway robbery. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Basically. Well, I mean, I I think most people... When they get in a situation when they don't have to do a lot of work, but they get to collect on something. Lots of money. And they just keep it in line and that's all they need to do. Usually that doesn't last. Right. Because usually the person giving that money to the person not really doing anything wants that money for themselves. And how amazing because it's just free. <laughs> you didn't have it before, and now look at all this money that we can get. Look, they used to take all this, except we made all this, and now we're, now we're going to use it, and here's, here's a little bit back, and then we stopped doing that. And, then... <laughs> and here's these these acts and these different taxes and the Stamp Act. and just. Yeah. I think it's just, a, it's, it's funny, because I, <laughs> I feel like <clears throat> uh, we've all been in a situation where we've witnessed something similar to this, where somebody is definitely like taking advantage of a, of a situation or someone vicariously and they yeah. just kind of keep collecting and eventually it corrects itself yeah next time you see that happening in real life just know that that is literally the spark of the revolutionary war <laughs> <laughs> or one facet of it one of the c's commerce number three though constitutions so there's competing concepts no <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> with england and the united states the colonies had so many varieties of a law and in a lot of these local governments, they could deny parliament, the, the governor, whoever could veto certain things. So common law in England after the Glorious Revolution and all these other, you know, uh. British civil wars and, and years and years and years of, of English history, it applied against the king, meaning the king is no longer, says whatever he wants. It's not a dictatorship. There is mm. a parliament. But the community could not deny parliament. You know what I mean? It's like whatever they said goes. Right. Right. Um, but in, in the colonies, the local governors did veto bills passed by legislators. And there was also a, a transference of the people to parliament. So they were saying like, oh, well, you have rights against, 
you have rights against the king, but not against parliament. And in the colonies, it was like, no, the people have rights against whoever's leading, whether it's right. the legislation or right. the leader. So that didn't necessarily apply. But then they're also sending these laws and legislation over to England's parliament. And it's a whole nightmare. And yeah. then six to eight weeks to get information Good back. Lord. And you're like, yeah. we need our own thing. We need our own rules over here. We can't be playing these games. <laughs> Following two different handbooks. What's yeah. this trash? <laughs> yeah. And then, oh, wait. Eight weeks later, now it's not. And then their parliament We're rewriting we the couldn't. book. Yeah. <laughs> and so we did. Calvinism, number four, which is... Like I said, the, the Reformation, the different religious. And it's just gotcha. repeating what I said. They preached to the congregations in the army, reshaped the government along the lines of these reforms. Gotcha. Number five, conspiracy. My favorite. Plotting. My absolute favorite. Hostile motivation. Because there had been all of these schemes and plots in the civil and British wars and all this stuff, they're used to underhanded deeds being done and mm. subversion and coercion mm. and all of these other secondary layers that mentality rippled throughout the paranoia the hysteria yeah what is actually happening behind the candlelight view through the window pane the british are coming (laughs) we move on to the actual year the battlegrounds the key political things he goes into in the book a ton of these battles and it's pretty dry so i will not what i will away i will save you evan <laughs> is the interesting things i'm gonna go through a brief timeline though okay which you can forget immediately but stick with me just on <laughs> you some, know of me the, too well. <laughs> some of the little elements so september 11th oh. <laughs> 1774 this is when it's written in the stars we were just talking about conspiracy <laughs> i knew it <laughs> king george iii said the die is now cast which is a famous quote from him say it again the die is now cast mm. the revolution upon us that's when that's when he had said hey things are going down Mm because like i said Mm -hmm. boston tea Mm -hmm. party had happened shortly before in 73 things are not looking good hey boss this colony uh experiment (laughs) it just keeps getting worse boss you want to keep holding out i just want to see what happens just let it go just a a little longer Longer. just a little longer maybe it'll turn around okay (laughs) then there's words of some lord or somebody saying in november new england governments are in a state of rebellion Well, let's keep, let's see what's going on. you know, you never know. (laughs) Yeah. Then in February of 1775, the House of Commons in England declared New England is in a state of rebellion. It's on the books. (laughs) (laughs) Then in April of that year, that's when they put these restraining acts limiting trade. That's also when the Lexington and Concord thing happened. And Uh, and America swiftly went over and spread the news. Then in June, like I said, that's when word is received in England of the Lexington and Concord business. Then in July of 1775, our boy Thomas Jeff, whoa, he writes, which is a precursor to the deck of mm. end, the declaration of the causes of necessity of taking up arms. There we go. Which is not as <laughs> Causes of the necessity of taking up arms. One of the lords to King George says this must be treated as a foreign war. Because it's very confusing, because they're a part of a thing. Is this treasonous? Is What's right, happening? Is right, it a civil right. war? What's going on? So this guy says it's got to be treated as a foreign war. Now in August, the king proclaims, which is different, I guess, that the 13 colonies are in an official rebellion. And then in December of 1775, the parliament puts out the prohibitory act of all colonial trade. And oh. it's freaking on. Oh, baby. Now we're cooking with gas. So, the ten weeks between April and July 1775, he's saying, are the most important time. Mm, Okay. This is, like, in between when Lexington and Concord, and they're like, it's rebellion. So that's when the Second Continental Congress happens in May. It was the first of October in that previous year where they sent demands to gotcha. England and they were like, oh, well, we think things are going on, but we're not going to respond. And yeah, yeah, it's yeah. whatever. And then, yeah. And then they did it again the next summer. <laughs> yeah. Congress, like, Congress oh, too. Yeah. Uh, about that. <laughs> are we serious? Here's a declaration of the causes of the necessity of taking up arms. So let's see what's happening. My boy, Thomas Jeff. <laughs> yeah. So now, remember when I talked about how one of the big four was Connecticut? Yeah. And why in the world that's the case? Yeah, how This is where we're getting into that. So previously, the guy who was running it, this Governor Trumbull, who's Mm -hmm. not British, is very, very smart. They became the Provisions 
colony or provision state. He was a merchant, and he had seen the writing on the wall. He had embargoed exports at this time and was squirreling away resources of his own for... Shady little... For Connecticut, yeah. So starting in 1775, they were the ones that provide surpluses to the troops. And another big thing that they had in Connecticut, for whatever reason that other people didn't, was iron. So there's a quote talking about how the iron-rich hills glowed with furnaces and forges for the cannons, like something out of Lord of the Rings. Oh, whoa. Um, 75% of all the American cannons were cast at this place, Salisbury, in Connecticut. Wow. So they provided the cannons. They provide. He had been smart and put together a bunch of resources. They were the storehouses. The fire in those coals <laughs> literally fueled yeah. the battle. We need more cannons. The, the heat of the American spirit in mm. that metal making. So the big... Get the, more yeah. American than that. My God. Happy fourth. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> Firework goes off. Um, so the surplus, the trade... Now we're talking about the economic war of 1775. We never talk about the economic <laughs> war of 1775, and finally we, Here we, we finally go. got there. It sucked, basically. <laughs> if you can remember the timeline of what I was talking about, all the different things where they're like, is it going to be a revolution? It's definitely a revolution. <laughs> hey, let's put, out these, let's put out these restraining acts. All kind of falls in line what's going on with the economics. There's a thing called we talked about the the uh, we talked about yes. the Continental Congress. So there's another thing called the Continental Association, which he says nobody knows about. Very undervalued because it's a boring accounting stuff. But they were responsible just as a as an organization with working to make the economics of all this work. So they were in charge of munitions management, monitoring frivolous spending, making mm-hmm. sure people in the colonies didn't have costly funerals, clearing ships for the proper trade stuff, mm-hmm. investigating what was going on on the deportation of goods, because the Continental Association set limits and precedents for the colonies on making sure that Britain was being stymied in their resources because, like I said, forty percent of it was going out to them. Mm-hmm. So, following the the previous timeline, kind of in line with that, September of seventeen seventy four, they made sure that the colony stopped ordering British goods, so that they were no longer collecting British goods. Oh. Then in October, they were not exporting any sheep products, oh. which I guess that was important. Cold winters. <laughs> No wool. No wool for you, England. And then in December, they couldn't import any merchandise from Britain, so no tea, no sugar, none of that stuff. And then in February of 75, any cargoes that came from Britain had to be returned immediately. Oh? And then in... Uh, uh, These have got to go back. (laughs) Slap the side of the ship. (laughs) exactly. Can't get them. We don't want them. Mm -mm. Nobody buying them here. Nobody taking those here. (laughs) And then in, Turn it around! <laughs> back it up. In September of 1775, they couldn't export anything to Britain. Ah. So they're relying on themselves now. But they're also able to export to these other places. It's just they're, they're blocking. It's this trade war. Well, and they're playing that big game. Yeah. They're playing that big game. Right. I and like if you it. remember, the Restraining Act happened in April of that year. And that is the same time in between the any cargoes that has to be returned, and they're also not exporting anything. Right. Is coinciding with that. So a big part of what they need to import, though, is munitions. Extremely low, which I don't even think about at all. This was fascinating to me. They had to coerce France and Spain and Holland to be like, yo, we need gunpowder. Wow. We need munitions. We need weapons. Wow. Uh, this is July of seventy five. Washington, like, don't, hey, hey, stop! No, no, don't, don't help them! What are you <laughs> Washington, this is literally you're giving it away right now. <laughs> Britain's like, stop, 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 stop. Yeah. They tried, but they couldn't. So I'll get into that. In a, yeah. So, so don't uh, give them bullets. <laughs> what are you doing? The colonies put their vessels under fake French and Dutch crews with fake papers, so that they could be subverting uh, British. Oh. trades and whatnot, and they were they, they were presenting misinformation to spies and stuff like that. They were filling barrels with sand, putting fake letters saying they had these enormous amounts of supplies when they really didn't. Mm. <laughs> um, in July of 75, Washington, the leader of the Continental Army, was told... Who? <laughs> who was that? <laughs> was told that the, pow- the powder in 
New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Connecticut, and was told the sum, and then this guy does the math, and that would be about nine shots per man. And it said that God. Washington was left speechless, like he just didn't talk for 30 minutes, because they had nothing. Wow. There was a famous he battle. He talk for in 30 minutes. <laughs> the, the, the famous battle in 75 on Bunker Hill, they had to retreat because they ran out of ammunition. Oh my God! It had I didn't nothing know to that. do with troops or fighting power or anything. It was, they were just like, we don't have any more <laughs> bullets. <Just> empty-handed <laughs> yeah. on the battlefield. So, Golly. 1776 was the year that they got more from the French, and that's when that started up. And here we are. We're off to the races in the ah. Revolutionary War. But 1775 was all these tactics and craziness and lying. And then there was rules. Because remember how it I said down for yourself. There was Trying no, your yeah, there was no exporting to Britain and whatever. There was this whole series of things where they were trading produce and products and whatever with the West Indies for munitions. Mm-hmm, Congress mm-hmm. made this thing. So, yeah, 90% of the gunpowder was imported. Between seventy five and seventy seven. Wow, they that, had, that's like it, they had none of it. <laughs> oh, we want this. Thank war? God! Thank God they broke their deal there. If they had not, yeah, I mean, and figured out ways and lies and tried they to just get it over barely it. got by. Yeah, <laughs> if they had not brokered as the few deals they did, barely enough to get by. My God, it and starting the revolution, and then it's like, wait, 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 we have no, we have no weapons, <laughs> we have nothing. Just we can't fight. Speechless Washington standing alone, facing a field. Just <laughs> oh, we have eighty-six <laughs> barrels, nine shots a man. Well, I guess we're not doing Fourth of July this year because we can't waste the gunpowder on fireworks. Now look at us just wantonly spewing it up into the sky. That's really what yeah. we're celebrating. Is that we have so much gunpowder. Now look, we have so much we can just throw it into the sky for, you know, for fun. S's and G's. Yeah. It's pretty, isn't it? It is. The last thing. Ooh, sparkles. About 75. Was the Declaration. The document that everybody knows and loves. John Adams was pissed in July of 75. He's like, we should have our act together. He said we should have already formed alliances with foreign states. We should have already modeled a constitution. We should have raised our naval power. We should be in possession of Canada. And look at how that, you know. And Karen, you should have had your hair up. Obviously, it's <laughs> August. <laughs> and don't wear white. It's almost late. Right. <laughs> yeah, he was pissed. But obviously, we didn't have any of that stuff. So... They're like, we got to have this declaration. This comes about in 76. 60% of it is about the abuses of King George III, all the life, liberty, blah, 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 that kind of stuff was not important to them. They were trying to prove that there was a justifiable excuse for them to become independent because of tyranny. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. really cobbled together in that way and not as much about the literary musings of these other things. Gotcha. And if That's you look, the actual case they were trying to make. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, and a, like I said, a majority of it is about that, which we just love the first paragraph. Right. <laughs> Speaking of the first paragraph, so we know Thomas Jefferson wrote it. There was another guy who wrote the Virginia Declaration of Rights for this state of mm-hmm. Virginia, which came out in June of 76. I will read to you this oh, paragraph. No. <laughs> All men are born equally free and independent and have certain inherent natural rights of which they cannot by any compact deprive or divest their posterity, among which are the enjoyment of life and liberty with the means of acquiring or possessing property and pursuing and obtaining happiness and safety. Now that is... Plagiarism. A direct plagiarism. But, <laughs> what they, like I said, what they were trying to do was not that. And also, they were trying to give political credence to this document so it would behoove them to copy already historical precedentary documents so they were taking also from a lot of previous british law and previous british proclamations Mm -hmm. and constitutions and whatnot so it was pretty Mm -hmm. similar to a lot of other things to the point where a month before it was pretty much the same thing as what this other guy had written right no, that makes that makes, it was, sense. That like makes said, a lot of sense. They're building a real case. It like, was not meant to can. be original. It was meant to say, hey, we have, we have a case based on precedent. A case on precedent and legal ramification yeah. and also tyranny yeah. that is being done. And we can prove Here it. Here you go. Here's the argument. It's yeah. not about being inspired and original at all. Right. <laughs> and somehow we've been like, no, no, no. The of happiness and the, the, yeah. the divinity of the <laughs> no. expansion of... Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. One last little thing Fascinating. Ab- about that time of 1775, which he goes into, I told you he has a bunch of all the battles and whatnot, which I don't really care about. But there was one, specifically, there was a guy who helped out 
uh, take over Ticonderoga, which I only know because of the pencils. I immediately, I'm like, he took over the pencil factory? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he took over the pencil factory. <laughs> he was a master shipman. Took him he, by siege. He took over one of the largest of the King's sloops in Lake Champlain. He crushed the Canada game, which basically he stopped the British advances from Canada until 1777 oh, wow. at the Battle of Valcour Island, where most of the troops were destroyed or whatever. This guy's a baller. Became one of the most underrated battles. This is, he was up on par with George Washington in 1775. Whoa. It is our dear friend Benedict Arnold. Oh! Who now all he's known as is the traitor that ga- tried to give up West Point and then fled and joined the British, and everybody <laughs> hates him. But he was a monster in 75. He was Good one Lord. Of the, it's like if the British had been able to come through Canada and then come down and take over New York and Connecticut and take all the supplies and all that mm-hmm, stuff, mm-hmm. he was the main reason that all that stopped. Next year, let's do Benedict Arnold, because I don't know enough about the dude himself and, and what, the real, what the real story really is. Yeah. Um, and I assume that's probably another part, part of this that could be really deep dived into. Right. It feels like a guy that was like... In it. Well, yeah, really in it, really kicking ass, and well, I feels think that's... like he was missing something. And I'm like, what did he want? What did he not? Well, he get? wanted he, recognition. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, he's underrated. Right, but I just, yeah. I want to know. This seems like there's a lot there. That's and that's super interesting. Mm-hmm. I've never really thought about him that much. Well, I didn't either. I'm that's like, why I just wanted now to on tease a human it, level. Yeah. I'm just like, based on everything he was doing, the track he was on, and then to switch, it was like, well, he had to really, he had to either be offered something incredible or he had to really want something or have been lying to himself yeah right right and that's either either a positive or a negative reinforcement somewhere that we're exactly and i'm like what what happened where was the energy shift and 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 how that that's that's yeah he just teases it a little bit here as like a factor of 1775 but i don't cool i don't know much about him yeah so then lastly the overall meaning of the whole thing like i said just to just to put into perspective of the 10 royal governors five fled to these British warships off the coast in 75. <laughs> so it just kind of opened up the floodgates for people to take over. <laughs> the local governments were already moving in with the militia, and the self-governing did not require these structural changes. Uh-huh. They were the same members yep. as the old assemblies, which contributed to it. Uh, as we talked about, bringing in sufficient gunpowder, that was very important. Mm-hmm. And then this maintaining of the support in Europe. So you're saying all of these things that became the necessity for the revolution then also carries over to our American legacy yeah. as we see it stand. Wow. Which is strange because it seemed kind of happenstance. Like, oh no, we need international support. Oh no, we need guns. Oh no, we need to rule ourselves. Like all of those things are now, oh, we move around a lot. Oh, yeah. there's all different kinds of people. Seems kind of happenstance, but then that's what coalesces the revolution and then creates our identity. And it almost uh, makes the time in between then and now seem uh, as small as maybe it really is. Because it's like, oh, we still deal with all of these themes rippled throughout our daily lives and our geopolitical ideals. Like, we're still dealing with all of the same stuff. Um, And then we do have to remember, oh, it's only been... A few hundred years. Yeah. Right. And I didn't right. even get, I mean, he doesn't get into that much in this book, and I didn't even really get into, like I said, like the indentured servitudes, the slaves, right. the Indian didn't know, even oppression, yeah. and all of that stuff that's going on. Like I said, it's in the God, background the of this. The whole other darkness. That's the whole other darkness apart from the greed or the, you know. Uh, the going against the British. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and he says it's, wow. it's definitely an underrepresented because all this other stuff's going on, 1775, 1776. The scene where you come from, who you are, and where, you know, mm-hmm. all, that, all that kind of stuff that, and then the, that we talked about earlier about not understanding how people still hold on to it, but then realizing, ah, oh, yes, it's only been a few years and people still feel it somehow. It's still passed on these 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 ideas and rifts and sides. It's interesting. Yeah. It's really interesting. And, and it, at the, it's for the first time I'm realizing, oh man, we are really butt up close to history here, kind of, you know. <laughs> we don't know odd. that much. Really yeah. odd to, 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 to think about it in those ways, to, to be framing the United States at in this time with a little more detail than I've ever had before, mm-hmm. than making it, it me, me saying, oh, why the, the Protestants and the Catholics are fighting? The, they're still fighting? Because it's not been that much long. It, 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 like, right. it, immediately, I mean, it's just fall, It's just like hit point to point for me where I'm like, oh yeah, yeah yep, it's not been. And that not long. only and that's why we're still dealing. With not that. only the 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 larger scope of time being compressed, but even in this, 
how small the scope of time was for certain elements. Like I was talking about yeah. in between when they were like, hey, we got to do this Second Continental Congress, 10 weeks to figure out what in the world's going on before they're like, hey, provincial governors, you got to go. Right. Hey, militias, we got to form. It's like 10 weeks, 10 weeks is not that long. No, it is not. To get these people together, to send a document over to England, to that be is like, not hey, a lot of time. are we doing a thing? Okay, we're doing it. Like, so this then is by, this is by horse. This is by horse and buggy <laughs> that we're sending these messages. So then there's some empathy there. We're like, okay, well Carrier then, pigeons. yeah. <laughs> there's some, there's some empathy that it makes sense that it wouldn't be that well put together, right? And then they were like, oh no, we have no weapons. <laughs> you know, oh, I thought we had weapons. <laughs> my favorite image i have two favorite images from the from the episode number one my favorite image just being the hot fire coal burning that they created the cannon to fight the war it's just i I love that but just the silent george washington staring off in the field realizing he's got nine shots a man shit (laughs) are we gonna win this (laughs) yeah Quick, France, Portugal, somebody, please. We got to cut some deals right now. (laughs) God. Yeah. Well, that's 1775. Fascinating. That definitely added some texture. Just a little tease and a taste. Didn't even know was missing. Yeah. Now and now I want him. Now I'm like, man, we ought to do Benedict Arnold next year or something. Mm -hmm. When's his birthday? (laughs) Or his death day? Or his His traitorous day? day. His traitorous death day. (laughs) All right. Do you have an announcement? I do have an announcement. Everybody out there listening, if you love the podcast, if you're listening to us right now, if you could help us out, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That would help us out so much. If you're listening on Spotify, they don't let you review. If you'd hop over to Apple real quick and leave us a review, that would be fantastic. But what you can do on Spotify, you can share really easily those little three dots in the right corner. Click that, share, send an episode to somebody you care about if you think they might be interested in one of these episodes. You have your assignments this week, and we will see you next week, where we are doing JT Leroy. I'm super excited for this one, actually. This is a story that I that I have brought to Taylor, and mm. I think I think everybody's going to be super An author into profile, it. a deep dive. An author profile, one of the largest literary scandals of the last 30 years. Evan's into scandal and conspiracy. I'm so into scandal So and I will appease him. <laughs> and we will talk about it next week. Next week. See y'all then. See you guys.